One Howard Phillips Lovecraft is best known for creating the Cthulhu mythos, yet his work has been subtly sway in pop culture since the 20th century, much like the great old ones coercing mankind from the shadows. But in recent years, his weird fiction has been creeping up upon the mainstream. The eldritch terrors in Sabrina, the dark god No in Marvel's Venom, and the aptly named Lovecraft Country. His ceaseless influence tightening its tentacles round every corner of the media. This year marks the 130th anniversary of the man's birth. And boy, don't we know it, eh? 2020? So here at Scaring Sam, we are exploring the life and enduring legacy of one H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> Welcome to Scaring Sam, everyone. I'm James. And I'm Sam. And today, we are talking about colour out of space. So without further ado, let's dive into the plot. Based on Lovecraft's 1927 short story, after a meteorite crashes down in their front yard, the gardeners find their quiet life disturbed by an extraterrestrial entity that begins to affect everything around it, including them. Technicolor madness ensures. Before we can fully understand this film, we first must understand the man behind the story. I'm sorry, I'm getting a really like disapproving face from Alba. <laughs> sorry, carry on, James. Let's begin by stating that H.P. Lovecraft wasn't a perfect person. He was massively xenophobic and classist, much like the rest of society at the time. So not much has changed then? No, it hasn't. That doesn't make it right, of course, but it adds context to his work. It's a thinly veiled allegory what drove him to write all those cross-breeding, fish-faced natives of Innsmouth and the inbred backwater swamp dwellers who worship the great old ones. Sometimes you have to separate the art from the artist and there's no denying the rich mythology that Lovecraft imagined was something inspired. I'm not defending a man, far from it. Right now I do feel like I'm on the night out trying to defend a drunk colleague. Hey, he's no bigger, he's not. He's just had way too many Jaeger bombs. <laughs> but I understand why he was the way he was. The most prevalent theme in his body of work is fear of the unknown, something Lovecraft knew all too well. It began when he was a child. His upbringing was turbulent, to say the least. Lovecraft was born in 1890 to one of those proud, well-to-do families who looked down their noses at the working class, despite gradually sliding into financial ruin. Awkward. <laughs> They like to think of themselves amongst the long line of New England aristocracy. For the most part, regular nervous issues stunted his education, and he was generally ignorant of the world beyond his beloved providence. Although his grandfather had a well-stocked library in the loft, he didn't grasp basic mathematics, and the leaps and bounds in science vexed him. In 1904, his grandfather made a number of poor investments, the stress likely contributed to his death. His house was sold off and with it, the library that Lovecraft sheltered from the world outside. He lived a solitary childhood. He just left school in 1908 and lived as a recluse until 1917. So naturally he had absolutely no grasp of any cultures outside of his hometown. So other races terrified him, leading him to become increasingly xenophobic. During this time, based on his letters, 
He was suffering from a deep depression. I feel sorry for the guy. He lived his life dominated by fear. As a child, his father died from syphilis after it first consumed his mind, leaving Lovecraft to be solely raised by his mum, who mothered her son relentlessly, yet tended to display no affection towards him. In 1918, his mother was sent to the same hospital as her husband, due to hysteria, which back in the day was a condition which exclusively inflicted women, cause, you know, sexism. Anyway, when she died three years later, Lovecraft moved in with his aunts. He couldn't possibly sully his writer's hands by getting a job to stay afloat. In 1921, during a trip that actually took him out of Providence... Providence. <laughs> Providence. <laughs> Lovecraft met Sonia Haft-Green, someone who couldn't be any more his opposite. She was outgoing and sociable, experiencing more in her life having been previously married including all that icky sex that Lovecraft found uncomfortable. Oh, no. In 1924, <laughs> they married, despite Green being Jewish and Lovecraft being a massive racist. Green must have been patient with her new husband, as he refused to work except on his writing. So the couple lived off the money she earned from her hat shop. What a catch. <laughs> She somehow even encouraged Lovecraft to move to New York, but the city's immigration population never sat well with him, until it took its toll on his close-minded sensibilities, forcing him to flee back to the comfort of Providence after only two years. Mm. Without his wife. They divorced in 1929. Unsurprisingly. Lovecraft lived out the rest of his days writing and depending on an almost depleted inheritance until he died at 47 from cancer. To rub salt into the wound, he didn't even get recognition for his work during his lifetime. Fans erected a headstone for him in 1977 with an inscribed quote that read, I am Providence. So Sam, what did you think of Colour Out of Space? Mm. Well, do you know what? Hearing that this one was a sci-fi, I was actually really excited. Um, I really enjoy sci-fi films. I always have. And I just decided to blank out the horror part. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was looking forward to this more than all the other films that we've watched so far. All I knew about this film was that it had Nicolas Cage in it and that it was based on a short um, Lovecraft story. I don't think I've ever actually watched something inspired by Lovecraft apart from... Um, the Thing series? Is that Lovecraft inspired? John Carpenter's version is heavily inspired by Lovecraft. So yeah, so I really enjoyed like the eerie kind of sci-fi um, start to the film. Um, we've got like really dark nature shots and then all of a sudden we go to we go to the green the green surroundings and then where we meet the family. Um, and we also meet the alpacas. Yay. And that's why you enjoy this film, isn't it, James? I just, just want to hug them. <laughs> they so fluffy. Yeah. You love an alpaca and a llama. They're the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, so there are a few bits that I kind of connected with. <laughs> well, the alpacas. Not the alpacas. But there was a section where, um, where Ward, he goes into the forest, shining his torch... It's pitch black, um, in the dark, um, yeah, 
pitch black and it just reminded me of one of the um, New Year's Eves when we went to a local nature reserve. Well, we went there before the clock struck 12 at midnight. Yeah, to, to bring in the new year and we then just freaked ourselves out walking through the woodland with just two um, spots of light <laughs> and then I'm like, I say something like, Hello? Yeah, who's there? Who's there? <laughs> and then I'm, go- I'm shining my torch, expecting some glaring psycho's face staring back yeah, at me. Yeah, because I heard something. Obviously, it was like an animal or something. But... It's probably an owl in a tree or a squirrel. <laughs> that kind of brought me back to that moment in my own life. And there were a few bits in this film. One of them being... Um, what's her name? Ter- Teresa? Mm-hmm. Um, the mum. Yeah. Um, she was chopping carrots and this this section really was freaking me out because every time the camera was like zooming into her hand, I'm like squirming in my seat because I knew something was going to happen. She's going to chop her fingers off. You just knew it. And it gets closer and closer, more close-ups. And then all of a sudden she chopped two of her fingers off. And I was still shocked at that point. I knew it was coming, but I was still shocked. It Grossed me out. A bit of blood squirt on an infant infant child's face. Yeah, oh, poor thing. But this is a weird film, isn't it? Psychedelic. Like, yeah. It, well, it's it's a little bit fucked up in some yeah, parts, it's isn't trippy. it? You know, later on in the film, when um, she um, she gets zapped by the mum gets zapped by the alpacas, <laughs> um, and then she's then consuming her son on her back. And then she's trying to feed on her daughter. Well, it's quite refreshing to have a modern horror which doesn't rely on jump scares, but Mm. glorious body horror throughout. And also, it's probably a great film if you partake in certain substances and (laughs) like to trip out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that would probably give it a bit of edge, wouldn't it? But it's really shot incredibly well. Uh, The use of colour just made it, like otherworldly didn't it the colour um, the colour and yeah I love sci-fi and I really enjoyed watching this film well speaking of the colour despite being indescribable in the original story because apparently it surpassed visible spectrum of light because Lovecraft didn't understand or grasp that there's such a thing as ultraviolet and infrared which humans can't see they couldn't do that in the film of course so The colour in the film is magenta because it doesn't exist as a single wavelength as part of the spectrum of visible light. It is what is known as an extra spectral colour that is only perceived by humans in a specific interaction of certain optic rods in the eyes that detect red and blue. Kind of weird. Hmm, that's very weird. And the amazing sound design and score allegedly uses ultrasound and infrasound despite surpassing our auditory levels. And although we can't hear infrasound, that frequency is meant to invoke fear in us. Yeah, we um, discussed this on a previous episode, didn't we? That it makes you uneasy. They're trying all different stuff to invoke that feeling of something weird and Lovecraftian. It evokes some kind of fear of the unknown. And that's reached in the film by a few different things. Like, is there something out there? Um, the fear of death, the fear of not being able to see something that's harming us without our knowledge, um, the loss of time. Time is like a big thing in this film. 
feels like time doesn't exist. It feels like the event could have happened over a few weeks or even more than that, not a few days. Well, it's almost dreamlike. Yeah. That's because the colour itself affects the electromagnetic, the light, the sound spectrum, physical matter, time, everything. Mm. Anything in its presence, it just completely warps reality. And where did Lovecraft get this inspiration from, I wonder? And through the story, did that heavily impact this film? Did it show the story well in the film? Well, I haven't actually read the original story, but oh. <laughs> I'll get back to that later. Okay. My stomach just made a really random noise. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a sci-fi film, but it's also horror. So is it in a specific genre? I don't really know the different horror genres. What does it fit into? Lovecraft stories tend to fall into what is known as cosmic horror, but mm. it, they sometimes can be just called Lovecraftian horror if the story is based on his work. Mm. And the differences are kind of subtle, it's a bit hazy, so I apologise if we use both terms throughout <laughs> this episode. Overall, their strength resides in our fear of the unknown. When humanity is confronted by something so completely beyond our comprehension that it makes us feel helpless and insignificant in comparison. In an interview, the director, Richard Stanley, describes cosmic horror as the sheer insignificance of one's place both in the universe, the infinite cosmos that surrounds us, and in deep time, the fact that we are just a split second surrounded by billions of years on either side of us, and our lives will truly be forgotten. What a lovely sentiment. I know. <laughs> Talk about nihilism. Mm. Speaking of Richard Stanley, he's quite an interesting fellow. This is his first time in the director's chair since he was fired after three days from the notorious set of 1996's The Island of Dr Moreau. I've never heard of it. And it's good reason. <laughs> okay. It's shit. Right. <laughs> after he retreated to an isolated village in the south of France... Since then, he's been making documentaries, writing scripts, and serving as a mountain guide. After co-writing the script with Scarlett M. Maris, and it was picked up by Elijah Wood's production company, Spectrevision. You know Elijah Wood's. He's Frodo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nicholas Cage was a fellow Lovecraft fan, so he wanted to star as a tribute to his father, who was also a big fan himself. Mm. So why do you love Lovecraft adaptations and films that are inspired by Lovecraft? Well, I should clarify that I don't particularly like Lovecraft's writing. Okay. <laughs> it hasn't aged well at all. What I do love is his legacy and this incredible well of ideas he has left for other creators to dip into and expand, mm. sometimes even improve upon. Mm. What we're talking about is the Cthulhu mythos. All of Lovecraft's work resides in the public domain. You, me, and everyone listening can use it how we desire. It's all free and readily available. Oh. And that's a beautiful thing. That's why the likes of Lovecraft Country is such a great premise for a show. You take the racism that permeates most of Lovecraft's stories, but you turn it around and make the protagonist an African-American living in the 1950s who deals with prejudice every day where the worst monsters he confronts aren't 
all the tentacled variety. Hmm. And that's what I love about him. You've got this massive mythos of characters. And like all mythology, Greek, Roman, Viking, you can expand upon it, you can enrich it, you can, just like Chinese whispers, you can tell these stories and they change throughout the centuries. Mm. And you can add to them yourself. And I think that's great as a writer. Yes, it's like one of those things when you're working with another creative mind, you're bouncing off each other. So Lovecraft is then, it's his work is being used to bounce ideas off and... Yeah, a lot of collaboration yeah. with other people. Yeah, and that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I wouldn't say I have a kindred spirit with Lovecraft, that's pretentious. <laughs> I spent a number of years kind of being a recluse. I dealt with depression at the time. I can relate to him in that sense because I found escape in writing my own stories as well. And that's why I can understand the way he is, just that I don't advocate and I don't agree with his racism, but I understand the fear that dominated his life. Fear is ignorance stumbling in the dark. If we went out of our way as a society to educate one another on all the different cultures that surround us, there'll be less prejudice in the world. Mm. and living through 2020 is like finding ourselves in a dark subterranean cavern like those in Lovecraft stories who hold a lantern up to some indescribable horror only we're holding a light up to the truth and what we discover is utterly incomprehensible well said (laughs) thank you there are a number of numerous recurring themes in Lovecraft in horror see I've gone back to using that terminology now And some of these themes are present in Colour Out in Space. Lovecraft likes to focus on detachment. Both the gardeners and Ward, Ward Phillips, wink wink, (laughs) are isolated from society living in the woods outside of Arkham. The gardeners escape the hustle and bustle of the 21st century by raising alpacas, as you do. While Ward is also an educated academic, which separates him from the rest of the characters in the film. From the start, Nathan has a clearly turbulent past relationship with his deceased father. Lovecraft generally depicts families as dysfunctional or abnormal, which is understandable now considering his own. And the overwhelming sense of hopelessness and loss of one's sanity. Characters in Lovecraft stories are often depicted as being way over their heads and find themselves incapable of running away. The utter incomprehension of the situation usually drives them insane. Before the colour physically takes the gardeners and the whole estate, it first takes their minds. (laughs) Was that another interesting thing I liked, which Sam may have not have been aware of? Lavinia has a copy of the Necronomicon, the fictional grimoire written by Abdul... Al-Zahirid, which amongst other things contains the forbidden knowledge of the Great Old Ones and the means of summoning them. However, the book that appears in the film is the 1980 trade paperback written by an author simply dubbed Simon, (laughs) which has little to do with the Cthulhu mythos and focusing more on Submerian mythology. It has sold over 800,000 copies and never been out of print. What, this book by Simon? Yes, this book by Simon. (laughs) Well done, Simon. (laughs) And yet you can't summon the great old ones with it. 
Is that a shame? Mm-hmm. Could be a party. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll meet some of those characters, some of those elder gods, this month at some point. I don't know what you have in store for me. You mean what Lovecraft has in store for you? Oh, yeah. So, should we... Oh, hello. So, what did you think, Sam? <laughs> I like how it's a second thought. Oh, hello. <laughs> You're looking at me like... <laughs> is there something you want, Sam? Um, thank you for asking. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed this film. Um, I do love horror. Wait, what? <laughs> well, that's the end of that podcast. <laughs> I do love sci-fi and nothing really kind of made me jump or got me like really scared with this film. There were a few sections where I was kind of squirming and they were a bit gory. Um, But I would recommend sci-fi lovers and horror lovers alike. um, Yeah, give this one a watch. Definitely. And I know we didn't talk a lot about the film itself in this episode, but you know what? It's our podcast. We can do what we want. If you don't like it, fight me. <laughs> but also, I think the film speaks a lot for itself. Yes. And it's very visual, and you have to see it to actually understand it. Yeah, and Colour Out of Space, it's really irritating. I can't say the at the start of it. My brain automatically wants me to say the Colour Out of Space. It isn't scary. But it's still an entertaining, mind-melting, LSD trip of a movie. (laughs) At times, it can be disturbing in its depiction of body horror. Then the next minute, you're staring in awe at the beautiful alien landscape. It draws you in and won't let you go until the credits roll. It definitely does. One of the quotes from Lovecraft, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. And on that note, I'm James. And I'm Sam. And this has been Scary and Sam. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Scary and Sam Pod. And you can contact us at scaryandsampod at gmail.com. And please rate and review us anywhere you listen to our podcast. It's always appreciated. And if you have any suggestions on our next watch, that would be appreciated too. Stay safe out there tonight. Oh. Ah. We should do like a hip-hop version or something. <laughs> Stay safe out there tonight. No, mine's more R&B. <laughs> Stay, Stay safe, safe out, out there tonight. tonight.